I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 3 with me. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah 3, verses 1 to 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation by the king. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let everyone be covered with sackcloth. Let them call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. In life, whenever you hear a report of good news or a report of something dangerous or bad going to happen soon and it affects you personally, a a response is demanded from you. That is just a simple basic principle. If somebody brings good news to you or bad news and it affects you directly, a response is demanded from you. If you have a son who is serving in the military and a couple years ago when the Taliban took over Afghanistan. If your son was called to go over there to help rescue and bring back Americans and others to escape from that regime, he's sent overseas, he goes there. It's certainly not at all a safe environment to be in, but you get a call from the general who says, your son has completed his task, he is on the plane, he is en route now, and he's going to be back home this coming Wednesday. That deserves, demands a response from you. You should throw a party for him. You should bring him back into your home, open arms. You should celebrate with him, smile, hug him, rejoice that he's back home with you. Conversely, let's say you're going to Hawaii, soak up some sunshine, and you're on the plane. And it seems like every time I'm on the plane, for some reason I always end up on the wing. I guess it's they just put, I guess it's a cheap seat. I don't know why. But I'm always on the wing. So imagine you're sitting on the wing and you're in the window seat. Okay, you're sitting down. You're enjoying the flight takeoff. You're in the air. And all of a sudden, your, your headphones are in. You just hear a loud, <laughs> you look out on the wing. And one of the engines has just burst into flames. I see videos of this sometimes of people who posted about this. But you, so you see that one of the engines is just in flames the announcer, the captain announces this plane, it's going down. It's bad news. Demands a response from you. You, have to, you can't just sit there and keep popping in pretzels in your mouth like nothing's happening. right? You have to 
put on a parachute. You have to put on that life jacket thing if you're over water. You have to put, down, put on that mask thing, right? Good news or bad news, if it def- affects you directly, a response is demanded from you. That's the point. Now, in our text today in Jonah chapter 3, what we see is both the good news of God's mercy, but we also see the sobering news of God's judgment against sin and wickedness. But as we'll see as we walk through the text, and if you zoom out and look at the entirety of Jonah as a whole, the overwhelming message in this book is the boundless mercy of God. It is the sheer mercy of God being displayed to Jonah, to the sailors, to the Ninevites, and to Jonah again. A lot to Jonah. And the overwhelming message is just a message of sheer mercy from the Lord. And we see in this text, we see God's beautiful, boundless mercy being displayed in three kind of big ways. We see Him, one, the mercy of God being revealed as Jonah is recommissioned. Secondly, we see the mercy of God displayed as the city repents. And then finally, we see the mercy of God displayed as God Himself relents from sending wrath. So what's our goal? What's our aim this morning? Where are we headed? What, what, what should we strive to do in response to the text? Uh, simply this. Bask in the beautiful mercy of God. Bask in it. Rejoice in it. Delight in it. See it. Savor it. And we see His mercy clearly displayed beautifully in this chapter. So firstly, God's mercy is displayed as Jonah himself is recommissioned. Look at verse 1 with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Right, You stop right there. I hope you see the parallels here. This is very, very similar to the wording in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Verse 2, very parallel as well. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Chapter 3, proclaim to it the message I give you. Chapter 1, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Almost identical openings, but very different responses from Jonah. What happened in chapter 1? What happened? Jonah ran away. Okay, You would expect a man of God, a prophet of God, who had served in ministry several times beforehand, you would expect him to respond in obedience. But instead he runs in the opposite direction. This time, chapter 3, what happens? Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. A couple things to take note of. Firstly, God's word had not changed. God's word, God's call, God's command had not changed. It's the same God, the same word, the same instructions. This time, Jonah obeyed. What happened? Why the difference? Why the different response? I would suggest chapter 2. See, Jonah obeyed in part because he had just experienced a fresh time, a fresh sense of God's salvation. He had just been in the belly of the fish. He had just been in the darkness of the depths. He had just been into the realm of the dead, as the text says, which functionally he was dead, right? Three days, three nights in Jewish thought. If, if, right, if, if somebody was gone for that long, if they were buried in the tomb for that long, they were fully declared and thought of as dead. Jonah was functionally dead, but God delivered him. God raised him from the dead. He spit him. He commanded the fish who vomited Jonah Onto dry land. Jonah had just been delivered. He had just freshly tasted of God's salvation. And now, in response to that deliverance, Jonah now obeys 
the word of the Lord. The other thing to take note of, look for repeated phrases. This is something I, I say almost every week. But what is repeated here? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What is the word of the Lord? Go to the great city of Nineveh and do what? Proclaim to it, proclaim to the Ninevites the message I give you, the word I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed what? The word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Nineveh is a very large city. took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah was proclaiming. He was speaking the word of God. And this is so important, that that simple truth, that simple observation right there, that is so vital for both Jonah's ministry and our present day lives. We are called, all Christians, we are called to spread the word of God, to preach the gospel. That doesn't necessarily mean from a pulpit like this, not everybody is called to do that. Totally understandable. But every single Christian, if you breathe, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you have a voice box that works, you are called to proclaim the gospel, to speak the gospel, to share the gospel, to share the word of God. Not your thoughts, not your ideas, not your preferences, not your opinions, but to share the word of God. That's Jonah's instruction. That's our instruction as well. And that is what we see the pattern throughout the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. See, Paul, Peter, James, a lot of the first apostles and disciples, early leaders in the church, they did not invent Christianity. Absolutely not. They didn't sit around a round table and think, what should we say, what should we not say? No. Christ Himself brought the Word. Christ Himself is the Word. Christ brought the Word. He gave the Word. And even you go back beyond that, Jesus says, I speak nothing except that which the Father has given me. Right? The Word comes from God, comes from the Father. Christ gives it to us. We now are entrusted with the Word by the Spirit of God. And we are called to share that same Word with the world around us. And in that simple opening right there, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Right there, we see the mercy of God being displayed again to this broken, messed up, very messed up prophet Very messed up preacher. Very messed up man. Because you see, Jonah, God didn't need to do that. Right? God didn't owe anything to Jonah. If somebody was rebellious, hateful, wicked, had a nasty, horrible attitude, what could God have done? You know what, Jonah? You're disqualified. I'm going to send Isaiah I'm going to send another prophet, somebody who actually loves me, somebody who actually cares, somebody who actually serves me faithfully. You've disqualified yourself. God does not do that. He gives Jonah a second chance. Because that is the God we serve. A God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. He doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't need to use us, but He wants to use us. He wants for you to experience His grace. He wants for you to be used by Him as His hands and feet to spread the Word of God. That is the God we serve, of God of boundless mercy. God recommissioned this broken vessel. But as we continue in the text, not only does that happen, 
But we see secondly that God's mercy is displayed as the city repents. We see this in verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, a couple of things to take note of right off the bat. In the Hebrew language, that sermon right there has been dubbed the shortest sermon in all of the Bible. Because in Hebrew, that sermon is only five words. Some of y'all are like, you need to learn from Jonah and you know, you know, get, get a little more condensed in life. I'll just simply say I'm not that good. But it's just kind of interesting, right? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Pick that apart. What's going on in that sermon? Notably, what is lacking from this sermon? What is not here? There's no reference to God. There's no reference to sin. There's no reference to repentance. Jonah, it's as if there's still some kind of bitterness and callousness going on in his heart. And it's as if Jonah just tells the people the bare minimum. He doesn't tell them to repent. You'll go, come to God. He's, you're, you're going to be destroyed, but if you repent, God will forgive you. No. It seems like there's some bitterness going on. Forty more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Just keep that in mind as we'll unpack that more next week in chapter 4. But as Jonah's right, he, he was walking in the city, walking throughout, proclaiming this throughout the city. The other thing to keep in mind is this city is massive. Three days to go through it, three days to walk through it is a massive city. 120,000 people we find out in, in chapter 4. And it's not as though Jonah stood in the literal center of town and every single person came around. He most likely had to go from house to house, from street to street, proclaiming this message so everybody could hear it. And as Jonah entered into the city, remember, it's not just a city. This is the Assyrian fortress, the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. And as Brother Donald Kamese talked about a couple weeks ago as he started our time in Jonah, This was a completely nasty society. One commentator, um, for you kids, here's a little warning for you, but one commentator said the Ninevites, they were known for torturing their captives, men, women, or children, by hacking off noses, ears, or fingers, gouging out their eyes, or tearing off their lips and hands. They reportedly covered the city wall with the skins of their victims. Rebellious subjects would be massacred by the hundreds, sometimes burned at the stake. Then their skulls would be placed in great piles by the roadside as a warning to others. That is just a tiny little snapshot into the nasty people that the Ninevites were. As Jonah, keep in mind the, the human element in this. Jonah was called to go to this place. And notice also, Jonah wasn't promised the outcome. God didn't say, if you preach, if you go there, you'll have success, you'll see converts, you'll have a mighty wave of God move. He's just simply given the task. We don't know what the outcome is. At best, Jonah would simply be mocked and ridiculed. And at worst, he would be tortured and killed himself. And for you and I today, we're not given the clear outcome when it comes to gospel ministry. 
We don't know exactly who may repent, who may respond, when it will happen. We don't know. We're not promised that. That's in the Lord's hands. The fruit is in His hands. We are simply called to spread the seed, to water the ground, to till up the ground. The harvest is determined by the ultimate landowner, by the ultimate farmer, God Himself. So, Jonah preaches right this super short sermon. Jonah preaches, and then surprisingly in verse 5, by the mercy of God, the Ninevites believed God. The fast was proclaimed. All of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And you might be wondering, what does that mean? What is this talk of sackcloth? We don't think about that today. One commentator pointed out, what is sackcloth? All right, this was a common means in the ancient world of expressing grief, humility, and penitence. The hallmarks of true repentance. Pause right there really quick. It's kind of similar. It's not at all the same vein, but I, I was trying to think of a modern day analogy. At a funeral, we typically wear black, right? That's just cultural, especially in America, the Western world, we wear black. Is there something wrong with wearing color? No, right? It's, it's just something that's kind of customary to do. Kind of back then, this is customary. If you were repentant, if you were sorrowful before the Lord about your sin, you would wear sackcloth, you would be covered with ashes, and you would fast. Commentator continues, the sackcloth that was used, this was a thick, coarse cloth. It was normally made from goat's hair. And to wear this, it symbolized the rejection of earthly comforts and pleasures. Okay, so this is a, a clear, vivid, physical demonstration that they are repenting. That they are sorry. That they do not want to hold on to the pleasures of the world. That they want to give it all up and give it to the Lord. And the text tells us it, it happened from the greatest to the least. From the king all the way down to the poorest man in society. And also it's fascinating in the text you'll see, particularly in verse 7, and in verse 8, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. It's one of the few, if not the only time in Scripture in which the animals are noted of repenting and, and uh, being sorrowful of their sin. Now, what do we make sense of that today? Now, to be clear, the animals were not culpable of sin, all right? The, the, the reason that the, the author of Jonah is conveying this is quite simple. The repentance is thorough. It, is, it covers the entirety of their lives, right? From the king all the way down to a little cow. The repentance is extremely thorough. And church, what I want to point out and bring delight to still is this. The, the city repenting in and of itself, is a gift of God. It is a mercy of God. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, and in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, we see that repentance is a gift from God. It doesn't come ultimately from man. It doesn't start in the heart of man. Repentance is a gift from God. And that is the case with the Ninevites. Thank God, in their situation, that God granted them a soft heart a responsive heart, a heart that was sensitive to the gospel. And for you today, right, if you're here and you're a Christian, thank the Lord that He softened your own heart. 
Thank God that the Word of God, which is hard to receive, thank God that He softened your heart by His Spirit and that He's given you the gift of repentance so that you could respond, so that you could taste of God's kindness and of, and of His compassion. That the mercy of God is seen as the Ninevites repent. But it doesn't end there. In verse 10, we see finally that the mercy of God is displayed as God Himself relents. That's the language used in the NIV. It tells us, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. Now, a couple things to take note of. Firstly, in, in the Hebrew Bible, or even in the English Bible, look at it with me. In verses 5 to verse 9, Beginning in verse 5, it tells us the Ninevites believed God. Now look at a few verses prior. Verse 3 in particular. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. In your Bible, probably the word Lord there in verse 3, that's one of those all caps mentions of Lord. And what, what does that mean? In the English Bible, that is in Hebrew, the covenant personal name of God, Yahweh. So Jonah... Right, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh came to Jonah. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of Yahweh. The personal fellowship, the personal communion with God. But notice in verse 5, it tells us the Ninevites believed God. They didn't believe the Lord, the personal Lord. They believed the Creator. They acknowledged the deity. El is the, is the, the Hebrew word. It's just the generic name for God. So the Ninevites believed God. And then you notice throughout the rest of that section about the Ninevites. Look at verse 8. Let everyone call urgently on God. This generic name. Verse 9. Who knows God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger. Why do I say all of that? Well, from different commentators I've read, people kind of differ on this. But I, I tend to think this way. The Ninevites didn't genuinely fully repent and have a personal relationship with God. They, look, at the, look at what they did. They didn't cry out to the Lord by His name. They didn't give sacrifices to the Lord. There was no evidence of circumcision here. Right? Different signs of what true repentance is with the personal God. But rather, what seemed to have happened was a repentance on a societal level. They'd given up their wicked, brutal, evil, wicked ways. It doesn't mean they were actively, passionately serving the one true God. Think of it like this. In the U.S., how glorious it would be if we saw a massive, widespread scale of revival break out and every single person in this country get more specific in this state, get more specific in the city of Charlottesville and Crozet. If every single person was saved, was truly born again, how glorious that would be. But even if that weren't the case, how wonderful of a gift it would be if in Charlottesville, abortion was outlawed. If in Virginia, abortion was unthinkable. The people would stop championing this as a right to, that my, for my own body as this thing that I, I'm allowed to murder children. Right? Even if People weren't genuinely Christian. They weren't actively in church. What a gift of grace that would be in this society, in this land. 
It's similar to what was going on here. They may, I'm not saying definitively one way or the other. They may not have had a true, genuine, personal relationship with God, but society, right? they, they gave up the evil ways. And when God saw that, when God saw that they had recognized some of their sin was bad, some of it was just so egregious, so disgusting, He saw that they repented, they left all of that behind. What does the text say? God relented. He did not bring on them the destruction that He had threatened. Right? God was merciful. He was extremely merciful. But I hope you understand When God withheld His wrath, it was simply that. God withholding His wrath. He didn't wipe the Ninevites' slate clean. He didn't say, Ninevites, it's alright. What you did, it's not that big a deal. Now, I'm not going to destroy you because I'm just loving and kind like that. No, God merely withheld His wrath. It was forestalled. It was put off. Because if God were to do that, if he were to have said, you know, Ninevites, you're forgiven fully, right? The, the wrath that you deserved, it's gone, completely gone. I just vanished it like a magic trick, it's gone. That would mean that God did not care about all of those whom the Ninevites had abused. It would mean that the Israelite girl who had been brutally assaulted, it, mean, it would have meant that God didn't care about her. That that crime, that disgusting abuse was nothing. It's not that big a deal. No, God merely put off the wrath for a time. For you and I today, we know what happened, what, where, where this led, right? Some six, 700 years later, the justice and the unhinged wrath of God wasn't held on any longer. Now, the Father unleashed it, but who did He unleash it on? Jesus Christ, right? That's the gospel here. Even hints of it that you can see in Jonah 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented, did not bring on them the destruction that He had threatened. See, the destruction, church, the destruction that the Ninevites deserved, it was poured out onto Christ when He was on the cross. But you have to understand, Jesus wasn't guilty of sin. He was perfect. He was innocent. He was pure. And in a more vivid picture than the king of Nineveh did, right? The king wore these glorious, beautiful robes. He took them all off, put on nasty, cheap goat's hair, skin, covering clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. In a much more stark comparison, Jesus took off the royal robes of glory, of heaven, of being fully exuding his divinity. He put on, clothed himself with a broken human body. And he was beaten, he was whipped, he was tortured. And as the text tells us, Jesus is the one who experienced the fierce anger of God. Jesus is the one who perished under the weight of wrath and of sin so that we could have his mercy. The reason that the Ninevites could experience mercy is because ultimately of what Christ did on the cross. Right? In the Old Testament, a question I think a lot of people might have, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Right? That's before Jesus came. So how, do, how were they saved? How did they go to heaven? Have you ever thought about that question? It's very, very valid. It's, it's sim- fairly simple. In the past, in the Old Testament, they looked ahead 
to what God would do on the cross. To what, how all of that would be resolved. We today, we look back on what God did. It's all about faith. It's all about looking to the goodness of God, the provision of God. They didn't see it fully yet. Thankfully, we have the New Testament. We can see clearly how this all played out. But in both scenarios, it was the mercy of God through Christ that enabled the Ninevites to be saved. And through for us today, right? how true is that? The reason that we are breathing today. Did you hear me? The reason that you are breathing today is by the mercy of Christ. God does not owe you a single more breath, a single more day of life. You are here because God is merciful to you through Christ. How merciful of a God we serve. Now church, as I wrap up, in this this chapter, we see the mercy of God displayed as He is kind and gives a second chance to a broken, fallen man, Jonah. The mercy of God is displayed as the Word of God is preached to the Ninevites. God did not have to send Jonah there. This this, This is one of the things that makes Jonah so unique. God did not have to send somebody to go to Nineveh. But in His mercy, He chose to send a messenger to this wicked city because God cared for these Gentiles, these outsiders. The, word of, the mercy of God is displayed as the Word is preached. The mercy of God is displayed as they repent and as God withholds His wrath for a time until it would later be poured out on Christ. Church, this is good news. Do you see that? Do you see yourself fitting into the shoes of one of these individuals or of these audiences here in chapter 3? And when you hear good news, when it personally affects you and where we begin, it demands a response from you. For some of you, when you hear about the message of mercy, the gospel message, you're reminded of it again. For some of you, your calling is to be obedient to God's message. Proclaim the word. Some of you, well, not some of you, all of you, All of us are called to preach the gospel. Every single one of you in here today. And I said earlier, if you have a voice box, even if you don't, and you can only sign, right, you're still called to do that. And I encourage you, right, as Jonah was given that task, go preach, go proclaim, think about it in your own context. Right, oftentimes we have a, a friend of ours, or a coworker, or perhaps the hardest of all, a close family member, who is not a Christian. And we have in no comparison is it the same audience in terms of the Ninevites and whoever you might be thinking of. Right? The, the worst that they could do is what? You know, mock you, scorn you, laugh at you, tell you to shut up, I don't want to hear any of that, right? No comparison. But so often fear and, and pride sometimes keeps us from sharing the word. So some of you today, when you hear the message of mercy, I encourage you. Think about just one person in your life right now who is not a Christian, who needs to be saved, who needs to hear the gospel, who needs to respond, whom God has placed in your vicinity, whom you could potentially share it with. And I simply encourage you, pray. Pray that God would give you that opportunity. And then, once that opportunity comes, you better take him up on that. 
Pray, but pray first. Pray that God will give you the opportunity, that He'll give you the right context, that the Lord would soften that person's heart. Perhaps, ideally, they would come to you. Right? That's wonderful. If that, in that scenario, when they, you know, they're, they're having brokenness in their life, they come, hey, I know you go to church. I know you're a Christian. Can you give me just something that I can hold on to? Once that moment comes, how will you respond? You don't need to be eloquent. You don't need to have this long soliloquy. Jonah had five words albeit they were not necessarily the best words. Nonetheless, he had five words to say. What would you say to your neighbor who is in need? You know, for some of you, the other, the other side of it, and, th- and this describes both all of us in different s- contexts in life. Some of us, the mercy of God, especially if you've been a Christian a while, you're enjoying the mercy of God, you're living day after day, but the reality is you are abusing that mercy by living in sin. Continual sin. And for some of you, when you hear the message, when you hear the gospel, when you hear the word of God, that it's easy to step on it, it's easy to abuse it, it's easy to use God's grace as a license for sin, as the book of Jude talks about. But some of you, some of us, some of all of us, we need to repent. Whether it be a, a continual struggle with lust, or being addicted to alcohol, or being consuming an, an inordinate amount of media and entertainment, drowning yourself out with Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all, or a TV show. Some of you are just engaged so much in busybody gossip. You have a short temper or anger with your family, whatever it might be. But the reality is we all are still broken people struggling with sin. And when we hear the message of mercy, we cannot. It is absolutely unchristian to say, God forgives me. Therefore, I can go do this. It's it's not that big a deal. God's going to forgive me, right? He's merciful. He's kind. What I do, yeah, I I know it's wrong, but he's still going to forgive me. That is a very unchristian attitude to have, to use the grace of God as a license for sin. And I encourage you, the simple thing I bring to your attention is what did this mercy cost? You and I, we can experience that mercy for free today because Christ paid the cost for us. This is a simple principle in life. Children learn this the older they get, right? How you're going out, bring it, make it concrete. You're going out to a restaurant, right? As parents, it costs nowadays $50, $60, for a meal for a family of four. Right? As a child gets older, they realize, oh, my Chick-fil-A meal with the milkshake, it costs $10. I actually have to pay that? That's expensive. Right? It's not free. The parents are glad to give it, glad to provide it for the children, but it's not free. It costs. And it's the same with God. The mercy of Christ is free. It's sweet. It's beautiful. It's precious. But it is very, very cost Christ his life. And I encourage you to think about that. Ponder that, dwell on that. And may that drive you to obedience. Church, bask in the beautiful mercy of God. Bask in his beautiful mercy. Let's pray. And then we'll close with the doxology. Father, 
We thank you that you've spoken a beautiful word to us and that you've not left us in the dark. You've not left us in ignorance. As we have received your message of grace, your message of mercy, will you please help us to respond in repentance, to respond in obedience, that you will help us to share this news with others. And that you will transform us and help us to be your hands and feet by the power of your spirit. We thank you that you do not give up on us, that we make many mistakes, that we stumble and sin and fall so often. Thank you that you are there, that you uplift us, that you uphold us. And though it may feel like we have stumbled, though it may feel like we have fallen, we thank you that your love and your truth will uphold us forever and that one day you will take us into glory. Until that day comes, help us to be faithful. Help us to be persistent. Help us to be compassionate and to serve the lost. Commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.